the Evolved Succeed podcast where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders and experts are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. We will also investigate and establish the need for ongoing personal development, accountability and support. The objective is to inspire you, the audience, to be better in life and in business. Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My guest this week is Kayam Iqbal, a former member of the Royal Air Force who spent 11 years in the military, including tours of Iraq and Afghanistan. In 2010, Kayam was medically discharged with PTSD and struggled to find his way in civilian life. However, using the resilience and the discipline he learned in the military forces, Kayam knuckled down and taught himself a whole new set of skills. In 2013, he established JobOppo, a community that helps former servicemen find jobs and adapt back to normal society. He subsequently started the Oppo Foundation, a charity that supports military personnel and their families. Its latest projects include donating boilers to veterans and supporting wounded veterans aspiring to compete in the Paralympics or the Invictus Games. I was fascinated to hear Kayan's story and I hope you will be too. In this podcast, Kayam gives his thoughts on whether an entrepreneur is born or made. I think anyone who puts a mind to, you know, setting up their own business can do it, but it's important to have the right support and the guidance of people around you. Talks about the positive traits an ex-serviceman can bring to an organisation. And there's so, so many to list, but, you know, for me, the key, key words are always going to be the level of resilience, you know, the integrity, the loyalty. And considers his meaning of success. Success for me is being able to deliver the projects that I've announced or, or, or want to deliver. That, that to me, once I've done it, I go, Phew. that's amazing. If you want to find out more about the services offered by Evolve and register to be part of our community, then please do go to evolvemembers.com. But for now, let's get on with the show. Welcome, Kayam, to the Evolve uh, to Succeed podcast. Thank you for having me on, Warren. It's great to have you on the podcast. And just to set a bit of background for our listeners, you've had a distinguished uh, military career before you've led into a kind of business life and your, and your business journey. So you want to give our listeners a bit of a background to what you're all about? Yeah, of course. So um, I joined the military, uh, the Royal Air Force, as a medic in 99, so just over 11 and a half years. Yeah, specialised as a medic and then specialised in languages, specifically Pashto, Afghani, and ended up working primarily within the intelligence uh, arena. Uh, served in Iraq and in Afghanistan. Unfortunately, my last tour of Afghanistan led me on my return to the UK to be medically discharged for PTSD, post-traumatic um, disorder. Okay. So for me, my transition then, uh, you know, leaving the military into CV life, you know, no CV, the support wasn't there. It was lacking at the time. It was a struggle. So I ended up uh, for £6, £6.10 an hour selling scratch cards for Camelot just outside of Watford. Uh, wow. so I thought, what? Yeah, I, I was like, what? You know, £6.10, £11. That's what come to, yeah. I know, what am I doing? Um, the funny thing is, I look back at that time, and I think <clears throat> many people would have just really, so- especially the mental health issues I was facing at the time. Mm. It, was, uh, it was a time which it you know, people didn't openly talk about it. It wasn't recognised or talked as much as it is, you know, today, you know, because of social media and everything else. So it was a tough time. So, yeah, for me, rather than sort of crying about it, you know, I keep 
a key word I always say is that resilience. I ended up getting this job. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter how, you know, what sort of role it was or anything. I, I, you know, I was there. I was always punctual on time. I did the job. But I always knew there was better things to be had, and I had to go and chase them. And which I did. You know, I ended up studying Prince Two, Change Management, MSP, ITIL V Three, all them sort of great, uh, great courses. And actually, I started studying it purely. You know, very quickly. Um, it was a, uh, I won't mention his name because he's related. It was my cousin. I met him on the train and very simply I asked him what, um, how did you get into, uh, project management? But the way he was talking, it, it was, it sounded to me very much as if he was implying I couldn't do it. I needed this degree and this experience in my back. So I thought, you know what, bugger, I, yeah, I'll show you. And it took me a little while to get them. And and I did it. And subsequently, years later, he ended up coming to me for a job uh, through Opera Recruitment. (laughs) Life is a way of doing that to people sometimes, doesn't it? It does. It does. So, um, so yeah, I ended up, you know, getting a break and change management. And, you know, I became a change analyst for BT. And subsequently, over the years, I progressed and ended up being project program managers at some of the, you know, large FTSE companies like M&S and Tesco's and, you know, Fresh Fuel Circo and looking after major, major programs. But then how did that lead you starting Oppo and, you know, Oppo Recruit and the foundation? Because that's another jump entirely, isn't it? It is. And, and you know, I, I think many of us have that sort of entrepreneurship and, and, you know, and many of us feel a sense of unfulfillment, like we're not fulfilled for whatever the reason that might be, you know. So I think um, for me, I certainly was not fulfilled. You know, for me, um, I felt I needed to do something else. But also, there was also for me, I think the PTSD, the sleepless nights, the nightmares, um, all them sort of things that I was having led to me being scared to sleep. So, you know, trying to survive off three to five hours at night um, was difficult. But what I ended up doing is, you know, coming home and then continuously working on the business. And, you know, when I started setting up opera recruitment and job oppo, what happened was a lot of friends of mine during the time of redundancies that the MLD were making were contacting me and asking me, how have you made this transition? Can you help me? And, and I was helping many of them and they've gone on to some very successful careers. But I thought, that's not my job. You know, I mean, CTP and other organizations have won £100 million plus contracts uh, for the MLD. It's their job. You know, where they failed me. Yes, they help others and, and many people, but that, that it's a large enough number to slip through the net that mm-hmm. is quite devastating. And so I thought, well, what can I do to make a difference and, uh, you know, make a change? Well, let's set up job oppo and oppo recruitment. And God, I, I didn't realize how hard it would be, to be fair. It took a long right. time for me to make any money. I actually lost everything twice uh, wow. in three years you know uh, so yeah it was it was difficult but i think the the, the sleep you know the, on one hand i regret not getting enough help for the ptsd back in the days but then on the other hand the positive to have come out of that was job oppo and oppo yeah. recruitment so yeah it's difficult isn't it i must and do you think it that resilience you know obviously leaving the military starting a new career sort of entering corporate life before going off on your own mm. do you think was it purely that resilience that you think drove you to start your own business or do you think you know, there was always part of you that was destined to run your own business it's a really good question um 
I don't think, yeah, I think the resilience, yeah, but it doesn't, you know, I can honestly say it's not every military person or every person can be an entrepreneur or, you know, uh, or, or has that resilience or whatever. I mean, it, it, you know, but a large proportion of people do. I think anyone who puts a mind to, you know, setting up their own business can do it, but it's important to have the right support and the guidance of people around you. But yeah, I think, I don't know. It's a tough question to answer. I think maybe this, to be honest, I think maybe there was something as well inside of me, but that resilience and that military ethos played a huge part. So, so yeah, it's how I was able to cope with so many different scenarios, you know, even suffering from that mental health to the civilian life, you know, the cultural fit. And, and to be honest, I found the transition into civil life surprising and, and interesting. You know, I think the work ethic, uh, is always there for people. But I never understood, you know, like a nine to five. Some people just saw it as a nine to five. Project management certainly isn't a nine to five. But people leaving on the dot at five or going for the lunch at twelve and making sure they come back at one. And what's going on here? That's that's not normal. Now, I remember the first day actually at BT, and I waited there, you know, at five p.m. and people around me were leaving, and you had first line, second line, third line who were there twenty four seven. It was actually on the NHSN three program, and. Uh, I sat there and it was only till about seven, seven thirty. Someone came up and says, "Karen, what are you doing? What are you still here for?" Like, and they all started laughing. It was a, an ongoing joke, you know. Um, yeah, I just uh, sat there waiting for somebody to say, "Right, you can go." Home. <laughs> <laughs> permission to go home. Yeah, permission to go home. Thank you, sir. But you've touched on something interesting there, and I often see that there's a lot of people that clearly come out of military life and you know go off, do other things, successful careers. But quite a few do start their own business. And one of the things I've seen in my years, you know, advising entrepreneurs and people starting their businesses, those that are coming from a military background do have this stronger, I think, determination and desire to succeed. Mm. And it's quite interesting because it then reflects on what you've just said is sometimes, though, running your own business, you haven't got any. There's no regime, is there? It is self-discipline. So when you used to being in a sort of regimented kind of environment. Why do you think so many people coming out of the military do succeed so well in running businesses? Um, I think a lot of people, I think now more so than ever, I think um, people setting up their own business, there's so much more information out there. There's so much support. And I think online, you know, and, and social media groups and, you know, the open source information that's out there to guide people is is huge, much more than it was five, 10 years ago. So I think people are a bit more savvy. I think um, people leaving the military have access to much more tools and technology and support groups than people who left maybe five, six, seven, ten years ago. So I think that's that's probably one of the things. And and actually the positive stuff that comes, I mean, even doing this podcast and all the stuff that other people are showcasing and supporting our armed forces and advising them or guiding them on how to set up business. There is a huge wealth of experience there and we're accepting. So people are more accepting and willing to listen and take that advice and support in and implement it. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think, uh, you know, in summary, it's technology and the information that's out there is just vast and, you know, much more than it was a few years back. Yeah. There's just that much more support. Yeah. 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 So looking back, you know, as you left the military and it clearly a really tough time for you, you know, selling scratch cards and, and going from job to job until you found that kind of project management niche, what would you have done differently and how would you have dealt with the PTSD differently in hindsight? What would I have done differently? Um, it, that's always a, a very difficult 
question in hindsight, I suppose. Everything leads you to this point. So, yeah, really, I wouldn't change anything. Um, however, in regards to the PTSD, and, and, and when I say not change anything, I don't mean I've done an amazing job with everything. I mean that, you know, it's, yeah. it, it's a ripple effect. I know if I change one point, then it would have led to so many different things not happening, you know, meeting my wife, having the children, moving certain places and business evolving. So I always find that question very difficult. But in regards to the PTSD, I just wish that, you know, that there was a lot of people talking about it, you know, during them days, you know, after 2003, first tour of Iraq and, you know, in 2007, 8, 9, 10, it was still there, but it, it felt like, you know, if it wasn't for people like Prince Harry and celebrities openly talking about PTSD and it certainly having a massive impact on social media, I don't think, um, you know, we'd be in this position now where it's recognized as, you know, an, as an invisible illness. So, you know, I think I'd, I'd certainly change or want people, you know, to, I wish that during my time of it being identified as PTSD, there was more support and opportunities there uh, for me. And subsequently, obviously, the military have gone on to do some absolute amazing things in supporting people with PTSD or any sort of mental health illness. But yeah, I just wish that maybe that if that support was there when I left, um, yeah. probably wouldn't have gone through as much as I did. Yeah. And it's interesting. I think Steve Jobs says it well, in a very famous kind of speech he made to a graduation ceremony at a university in America is it's actually, it's not until you reach your destination and you look back and you join, that's when you join up the dots. And that's exactly your story. It's exactly the same. Yeah, it is. And, and yeah, great analogy that actually. Um, yeah. It's when you reach a certain point. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, within business and stuff, I'm sure everybody, uh, everybody would have changed, you know, hindsight's great. Oh, I wish I did this and that. And honestly, I can tell you, I've made so many, so many mistakes and still do. <laughs> yeah, and still do, you know, every, every day is a learning day. And I think that's probably one of the things that I like and enjoy and, you know, I surround myself with really, really knowledgeable and good, solid people who have more experience and knowledge than I do. Um, you know, so for CEOs, COOs, CIOs, etc., for me to be able to pick up the phone and speak to them direct and ask for a bit of advice, I mean, not many people have that opportunity. So why wouldn't you listen to people like that? It's good. It's good. Talking about, obviously, going through the kind of, pandemic as we are right now and all of those kind of things and there's a lot of people working from home in isolation or people going through difficult circumstances and I suppose that mental health mental awareness sign mind health mind fitness whatever you want to call it is kind of forefront at the moment is there any words of advice or wisdom that you'd give somebody that perhaps is feeling isolated and struggling right now yeah I mean like you said it's uh, really difficult uh, for everybody and uh, I think many things they would have heard. I don't like sort of repeating them, but you know, like the getting out and, you know, engaging, talk about your problems. So I think one thing that people sometimes forget is it is so difficult to talk about it. And if you imagine somebody within the workforce stuck at home and if you is going through something that is absolutely new to them, you know, and, and mentally they're struggling, but they've been perceived as strong or they've got a position of authority or they have people working underneath them. They've got to show, you know, that they are in one piece, so to speak. It's very difficult for those individuals as well. So for me, I think 
organizations, what I'd love to sort of see is where they are approaching people or have some sort of helpline or support group and certainly keeping certain things in an anonymous capacity, I think is, is something I think that they should look at and implement because there's only so many virtual cocktail drinks and virtual meetings that they can do. So, you know, people are getting tired of it. So I think, yeah, I think the only advice really for me, I, you know, I struggle even now. I struggle with the sleep. I still see psychologists virtually uh, every single week and I take medication. You know, I try to, I think the hardest thing for me is not being able to go to the gym. People talk about exercise and I can't be bothered. I'll be honest. So going out and walking, you know, um, for me, sticking my headphones in, listening to certain motivational music or classical or something different and having that time just for myself. So, you know, to do a two, three, four hours, you know, a, a short walk, a quick walk on my own for 30 minutes to an hour, you know, bearing in mind, I've got a four-year-old and a three-year-old. So you go to the park. Life is pretty full for you. <laughs> yeah. So, so that, that is certainly is a piece, but it's enjoyable. So I think it is find that little moment in time, whatever it might be, whether it's a walk, whether it's watching Netflix, whether it's playing on the computer, whatever it is, you've got to find that for yourself. Mm. Um, so that that's the bit of advice. But um, I'd, I'd love people to and organisations and you know any bosses out there to realise that, like us in the military, it is always difficult to talk about mental health. So it's all well and good you might have or approach you know, mental health resilience champions and people within a workforce. But anonymous questions, anonymous reach outs or call, stuff like that is critical. You know, if I had things like that back in the days, I, I would have done it. But I, there's no way I would have wanted people or my you know peers or anybody to realize that I was going through mental health just because, one, I thought I was, you know, I'm a guy and I'm in the military. I'm hard as nails. It's that alpha male thing kicking in, which is harm if you're not careful, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, I think um, that's that's the bit of advice I'd give. Okay, if you, wonder if we could just talk about job up and, and what that does, and you know, your experiences in building that business. So, tell us some of the success stories about job up and what you've done to develop that business. Yeah, absolutely. So, um. Job Oppo, it's actually been alive for about seven, eight, eight years or so, uh, maybe a little bit longer. Uh, it's a dedicated ex-military job board. And uh, importantly, during the pandemic, we invested heavily into it, took new directors on board, hired new staff, invested into the technology and the platform. And importantly, to make it different and unique, it's dedicated for ex-military and 100% verified ex-military candidates. So every one of the candidates registered has to be verified as having served in the British military. So that's unique. The other thing as well is that, so I don't like talking about sort of competitors or whatnot. It's not competitors. Um, but I suppose the most or the closest similar thing to job op is CTP, Career Transition Partnership. Uh, but their job is to support, uh, so they've got the MLD contract, but their job is to support those leaving the military two years before and two years after. Our job is to help anyone leaving the military and after, irrespective of how long you served or when you served. So that's uh, a, a big USP. The second thing is that we do not allow recruitment agencies to join JobOpo. It, it is just for co corporate clients, SMEs, etc. So it's a closed community. You, if you were to log on now, you can't access or see any of the roles. Uh, you'd have to register. We'd 
speak with you, have a Zoom call, or, you know, the Ops Director will. We just want to know sort of what is it that you want, you know, and uh, we have meetings every single day where actually they just want to access our job board, but we'll reject <laughs> it or turn it down. And there's much more to it. You know, we, we, we're not just a job board. So, for you know, in, for us, some of the other USPs and some of the things that we do, they're very much about how do we support the client and make them understand, you know, the mindset of the veterans and the military and, and you know, that these roles, not just roles that they may have labeled them to do, you know, um, that there's yeah. so many transferable skills that people within the military could actually do this job, this job, you know, many of the different jobs. So we educate them. We also create microsites with them uh, on, on, you know, uh, within our site. Uh, there's podcasts we do there's engagement live meetings interviews you know with big hr directors ceos and and that's also benefit for the candidates you know so people who've registered as as you may know and typically a job board you pay you post your job and you hope can discipline yeah yeah there's no interaction the only time they engage with you is two weeks three weeks before you're due for renewal for us it's continuous monthly yeah. weekly you know we're always engaging we're educating we're helping the client understand their audience we're helping the candidates and the ex-military in understanding more about that client you know cv about all of it and it's all done behind closed doors so it's a community yeah so brilliant so yeah and and there's i suppose it is it has to be doesn't it is it's a community of like-minded individuals yeah. coming together and and i suppose that kind of leads on to the question is you know for those that haven't served in the military and they are a business leader a business owner and they're considering employing mm. a kind of ex-service person what positive traits do you think that somebody that has served in the services brings to an organization Oh, I mean, there's so, so many to list, but, you know, for me, the key key words are always going to be the level of resilience, you know, the integrity, the loyalty, the discipline. And, you know, the, these things, don't get me wrong, it's not to say that civilians don't have that. Of course they do. But if you imagine, you know, you join the military at 16, 18 years, of, well, 18 years of age, I joined, it is instilled upon you within the first three weeks. The job of the military is to instill upon you that discipline, that integrity, the loyalty, the honesty, I mean, it is pummeled in. You will never, never forget that throughout your whole career. And for you to implement that in Civvy Street into an organization that appreciates the military, and yes, they may see it, it is, a, a, it is absolutely unique. And it is, you know, like I said, it's not to say that civilians don't have it, but, you know, it, we've got some amazing transferable skills. And you know, we can put our hands to anything. So I certainly think, you know, business leaders and people should, um, if they haven't already engaged, you know, engage with organizations, not just like mine, whoever, but specifically focused around military. And you'll see what we can bring to the table. Brilliant. Fantastic. And what can, you know, if business leaders do hire somebody just out of the services, any words of advice on what they can do to help those individuals transcend into civil life and a normal job? Yeah, I think they're, they're very switched up. So people leaving the military, you know, many of them, you know, depend on time served and the support that they've had in the transition. Many people now leaving have a good understanding of what their expectations are. You know, much of the military, it's not just sort of, um, you know, we, we work with civilians and, and different organizations and here in the UK. So we know how to engage, you know, and, and uh, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. But I think for civilian uh, employers, I think, yeah, they should certainly sort of look at some of the skills that the military have that 
won't be available to civilians and some of the opportunities. So, for example, those people leaving the services who've done six years and above uh, have access to something called LCAS credits, which is enhanced learning credits. So it's £6,000 that you can use 10 years after leaving the military. That's a huge amount of money. And typically what happens is we start to use that a year, two years before leaving to guide ourselves and get the civilian qualifications in order to um, you know, find employment in the relevant field that we want to go into. Then you've got a, a lot of other things as well. You know, um, importantly for an employer is one of the things that uh, the government have recently announced is the NI contribution and um, saving that an employer recruiting somebody who's recently left uh, is eligible to claim back their NI for that year. So from a cost-saving perspective, an employer taking on people, uh, that's anything from, what, two to £5,000, you know, that's quite significant. Typically, that's a recruitment fee. So, you know, if you've got large employers, so I believe that Iceland, for example, currently have 3,200 roles live. Yeah, it's a significant amount, you know. So it's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of positives, not just from the financial piece, but what we're able to deliver, the training that we've had. It's given us a chance, given us an opportunity, and that's, really all we want you know brilliant fantastic i just want to touch on something that you know reading about your kind of the history and your background is um you faced your fair share of discrimination um in your life how's that affected you in a both perhaps a positive and a negative way and have you seen any change in attitudes since you entered the kind of business world yeah i mean the racism um that i've gone through is uh it's been bad. Have I suffered it in the military? Yeah, of course I have. But, um, well, I say of course I have. <laughs> you know, as if it's, it, it, I, I talk about it as if it was normal. But, you know, it's a small minority. But, you know, when you're 18 and you join and it's full of similar age people and all that testosterone, you're always going to get into fights or name calling and things like It's how you deal with it. You know, um, I received just as much racism after 9-11 happened in the town of Uxbridge going out, you know, and I wouldn't even do anything or say anything. But having a nose broken twice, a fractured skull, you know, black eyes left and right, you know, it 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 was a difficult period, a difficult uh, period of my life, you know, but I think it made me, made me tough. When I say tough, I don't think you should, I don't think anyone should become tough through that sort of behavior. However, uh, it was just the timing. I think, uh, you know, it's like, so yeah, I, I don't know. I think in Civvy Street, it's, yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, the corporate and the organization I work for, it didn't really happen. I think I, I never once saw it. Ne- ne- never actually, uh, you know, but some of the organizations work for Tesco's and Asda and stuff like that. I think if people didn't like you, they just got rid of you. It's as simple as that. You know, that's the difference in the military. They can't just get rid of you. Yeah, you're part of the team. Yeah. And and don't get me wrong. They would, you know, that was a long time ago. And, and the, the military have done extremely well, extremely well in stamping it out the best they can. And yes, we do still do hear stories of discrimination. Is there things they can change? Absolutely. Is there work that I'm doing with the MOD? Absolutely on BAME and DNI and strategy and policies, how to engage with people. And, you know, so that's stuff that I consistently do now. Can there be changes or, you know, are we doing enough in the current climate within Civvy Street and corporate? No, we're not. It's as simple as, as that. So I don't, you know, I think it's, you know, when you look at the hierarchy of organizations and very big organizations and the diversity sort of within, you know, very senior positions, um, within FTSE organization, it's quite appalling. But yeah, I, 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 you know, I said this, um, not long ago in another interview is that I feel that what you should be doing 
and it's the same as the MLD, is using people within your organization to be open and transparent and talk about it. If you felt it, whether it's sexual discrimination, you know, uh, color, whatever it might be, racism, whatever, if they have felt it, even if it was 10, 20 years ago within that organization, talk about it. You know, I think people can learn, people who've taken up the position of these new roles that I've been seeing much of, the diversity inclusion leaders, the BAME engagement officers, you know, these titles that people have been given within organizations. You know what? Make a difference, make a change. And um, it's not it's got nothing to do with sort of, you know, if you're white and you're taking up these roles, it's nothing to do with that. It's how you implement it and who should you be speaking to. There's no point doing a survey against, you know, 50 people in your organization if they're all white you know people whatever let's get honest opinions and views of you know people who may have experienced racism or set up you know i'm going to go back to the anonymous piece you know some people will not want their name mentioned but there should be a way of anonymously being able to conduct surveys or speak to people and your counterparts or your people within your organization who can anonymously send you an email or make a phone call or do something to say well actually John Smith was racist or I've suffered this abuse two, two years ago, three years ago. You know, that's the way that we're going to stamp it out. Great advice. Yeah. I suppose it's the same, isn't it? It's about the same as the piece around mental health and mental awareness. It's, it's about having honest conversations, isn't it? And not being afraid to where, where they may lead, but have the honest conversations. Just be honest and transparent. Yeah. But certainly use people within, uh, you know, your organization to get advice from and who, you know, and, their honesty and their views could help you change the way your policy and structure and HR and everything else should be shaped. Um, You know, it's very clear within larger public sector organizations, whether MOD, NHS, police, whatever, fundamentally, you know, it's institutionally racist. um, So, so the news said, but however small that minority or that demographic may be, you know, the percentage of that, it's still too much. But they're invested heavily into stopping that and educating the public and why they're different. But what that leads to is a lack in recruitment. Hence why I come in and, and, and support them on that strategy. And how do we stop the public thinking that? It's, okay, well, I've been through it. Do I blame them? No, I don't. I actually blame that individual, uh, you know, so, or, or, you know, it's that much of an organization, you know, big of an organization to, to say it's institutionally racist. There's a bit of a, big statement you know you can't control every single individual and i can clearly talk 10 20 incidents 30 incidents that happened to me very early on in my career but it was specifically one individual two individuals whatever it wasn't necessarily top the top down leadership yeah it's 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 individuals within the organization that's how you yeah, but it's also mentality of some of the older older generation. You know, some of the older generation, certainly within the military, not everyone. And I've got to stipulate that, you know, we're not talking, you know, many, many uh, people that I know are at that generation where they've spent 30 years plus in the military. However, there's certain people who spent that time in that it was the norm to call out, you know, your colour, your creed, your sexuality, whether you're Scottish, Welsh, whatever it might be. And when it comes from the top, then everyone you're training and teaching and beneath you think it's the norm. So unfortunately, they end up carrying that on, and it's a never-ending cycle. Until you start it at the bottom, and, and get, and it's a generational thing at that point, isn't it? Exactly. So, yeah, lots, lots could be changed. Lots needs to be done. Um, but I think we're certainly on the right track, and it's great to see and hear all these initiatives and organisations coming together and 
doing that. But, you know, a title is one thing. Um, and once again, if you're taking on that DNI and BAME sort of stuff, make a difference, make a change. And yeah, reach out to people who may have experienced it or by all means come to me. You know, I'm more than happy to help, you know, support any initiatives like that as well. Fantastic. Thank you, KM. I'm interested to um, talk to you about the Oppo Foundation, which obviously sits alongside Job Oppo. Job Oppo is the commercial entity, but how did the Oppo Foundation come about? So the Oppo Foundation, it's a charity, it's a complete standalone charity, but what Job Oppo does is donate 10% of its revenue directly into the charity. Revenue, not profits. Exactly. Revenue. So um, massive, massive, uh, massive thing. Um, however, we're standalone. We don't shake tins. You know, we don't need government funding and things like that. Uh, it's not to say that we don't fundraise an organization that people do support us, and that's fantastic. But every penny that we get, we've already allocated to projects, so we don't let money sit in the account. You know, as soon as it comes in, it's gone, but it's allocated to a project. And importantly for that organization and corporate client, they can see exactly where that money has gone to. And about Five years ago, uh, so every year we used to hold these major events, lavish events in the city of London, HMS Belfast, the Hippodrome, you know, where the military had come and, you know, it was a gala dinner and raising money for other military charities. And on one occasion, uh, and I won't name the charities, there was three military charities there um, and we raised probably over £50,000. We donated, split it between them. And when I asked what they've done with that money, they just shrugged their shoulders. Just went in the pot. <laughs> yeah, it was exactly that. It's gone in the pot. And it really, really uh, frustrated and annoyed me. And I said, well, that's ridiculous. So I said, well, let's set up our own. And then subsequently, uh, we realized it wasn't as easy as just saying I was say, one of those things easier said. <laughs> it was, it was extre- extremely, extremely difficult. And um, But we did it. And then, um, you know, the projects, uh, to give you an indication of some of the programs and projects, even in the last 18 months and during the pandemic, you know, we've delivered uh, free boilers and installation to veterans who could not afford it themselves. We've delivered live inspirational and motivational mental health talks every Friday at 2 p.m. to the public and to the organization. So these are people like you've lost limbs, Andy Reid, very inspirational, motivational people, Dave Watson, Cornelia Kelly, all these people um, to the public live. Not just to ex-military personnel. This Most is a wide. To, it, was, it was on Facebook. It was absolutely live. And it went huge, you know, for 12 weeks during the first lockdown every Friday. We subsequently then de- did that again during lockdown 2.0 for four weeks through and via the BBC radio. So we had a bigger reach then. And that went uh, amazingly well. We're sponsoring a number of wounded ex-military veterans who are competing in the Paralympic Games and Invictus Games 2021. Well, unfortunately, Invictus has just announced that they're rescheduled to 2022. But so Cornelia, she's a tennis star. We purchased a specialized wheelchair. She's a Paralympian tennis player. Kelly Leonard, she's the vice captain of Invictus. We, she couldn't afford it herself, a specialized wheelchair. You know, these are about six, seven thousand pounds wheelchairs. We've run virtual events during the pandemic of summer of 2020, you know, for corporate clients. And then in addition to that, on, on you know, 30th of December, within eight days, we held a live virtual event for serving military who were unfortunately stuck at home or overseas during the second lockdown. Uh, so we had people like Tony Hadley, Paul Whitehouse, you know, all, you know, all these sort of famous people come and we did magic shows and everything went down. So we do a hell of a lot. Um, yeah, you know, yeah and there, and there's a lot more work for you. Hey? Yeah, I, exactly. Unfortunately, once again, I mean, I don't sleep very much, and I do come out with some crazy ideas. But you know, after, 
luckily for me, I've got some good people who say, kind of, it's crazy, leave that one. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah so, so there's a lot happening. Um, but as I said, importantly, job oppo. Uh, I think for people and organisation, anyone putting a penny into job oppo, for you to turn around and say, kind, what have you done with that £10? Well, actually, here you go. Uh, this is exactly what we've just done. That makes a difference. So charities have taken a big, big hit during the pandemic. Um, very, very lucky and fortunate. And I'm glad that we don't overcommit. We don't spend on stuff that everyone's a volunteer. We use our own volunteers. We've got amazing patrons and trustees. And there is zero debt for, for the charity, which is probably unheard of in the current sort of situation. Perfect. So, yeah. That landscape has changed. I must, it must have been quite challenging running the commercial businesses and a charity foundation in the last 12, 18 months. But it's yeah. that energy that we seem to have. Yeah, yeah. How do you keep those energy levels so high? You know, it's the drive, I think. Um, and, and for me, you know, the, the, the work that we do with the job oppo and the BAME and the government stuff and everything like that, it all, everything, everything for me leads back to the oppo foundation. And a, a prime example is... You know, when you get, when you support some of these people, there was a chap called Harry Tootill. So, uh, March of last year or just, just before the first lockdown. Uh, so he's an 86 year old military veteran served in 1956 for only about three, four years. And I engaged with him about giving him a free boiler. So he didn't have a mobile. What had happened was at the military veterans breakfast club on a Sunday, somebody reached out to us on his behalf and said, look, we saw, saw this, it, you know, can you help him? He's, his boiler's packed in. So I remember I made the phone call to him on his landline and he didn't believe it. And it, you know, and he, he thought it was a scam. And you can imagine, you know, 86 year old, you know, thinking, what, you offer me a boiler for free? I don't believe you, whatever. Anyway, eventually we did end up giving it to him. And on the Wednesday when we delivered it, and fitted it. He was very emotional in tears. Two days prior to that, his wife just died. But he was that desperate. He wasn't in the in, in a good place. And his wife had just died, but he had no boiler and it was freezing. And he still thought it wasn't real, you know, that we're giving it for free. He was expecting the bill at the end. So for me, that moment, and there's been many of them, when when you hear people so appreciative and thankful, it, dry, it, it just gets me out of it. It makes me want to do more, you know, and how am I going to do it through the OPPO? Well, it's through job OPPO and OPPO, you know, recruitment and everything else. So that's that's what drives me, people yeah. like Harry and, and other people. So, yeah, a uh, bit cheesy, but... It's honest and it's from the heart. And there's, you know, something that drives us all, isn't it? And it can be something from our past. It could be something we're doing now. Mm. Some people it is the sort of, it's about creating experiences. Some Some people it's helping others, some person it is the kind of physical things they want to achieve or freedom later in life but yeah. there's, there's no more reason that anybody can come up with it's very personal about what drives you isn't it and yeah we are humans and that that's a great thing about being human yeah no you're right yeah I, I, absolutely so um so yeah i think there's there's a lot of things that we're planning and scheduling for the Opera Foundation this year even during the pandemic and the current situation so um i'm excited to share that and get have all these people on board and and yeah job oppo is just growing rapidly uh, which is fantastic during the pandemic so fantastic gonna finish with one last question and that is how do you define success i'm not going to say i love that question because it's it's one of them that is difficult uh, i can honestly for me success isn't a financial monetary thing some people may see it as that 
for me, success is being able to deliver, whether it be programs and projects that I set out for. So I, I plan programs and projects uh, several months beforehand. And then if I've delivered it, then I'm pleased. So a prime example is the virtual live event. On the 22nd of December, when Boris Johnson announced the second lockdown, I was suddenly receiving text messages and calls from current serving military friends of mine saying, I'm stuck. Yeah. On camp, I see the family. So I decided on the 22nd after not sleeping to hold a virtual event in eight days and we pulled it off and had hundreds of families and people. Um, that was success to me. So it's, it's not the monetary thing, but success for me is being able to deliver the projects that I've openly said and talked about and also making sure that anything that, you know, my family really want. I suppose that is a, a level of monetary thing, but not, you know, it's like, I think over over the pandemic, I think one of the best things that, that I've had the opportunity to do, like many people, is is spend time with the kids, you know, the four and three. And, you know, there was much of that time the early on. You know, I was in meetings, I was traveling, I was in the city. Um, and it's, it's just hilarious to, to watch how they've evolved or how they're connected to me. Sorry, I sort of digress, but very simply, I think it's success for me is being able to deliver the projects that I've announced or or want to deliver that that to me once i've done it i go that's amazing uh, well i say it's amazing but i've already moved on to the next one so i never really, I don't really have yeah. a follow-up question to that because is there a point when enough is enough do you know do you think there's a point where but a better question than that is do you stop to celebrate your successes enough if you've set the next challenge or hurdle and do you think you should reflect more on what you've achieved Honestly, never. I, I never have. And, you know, there's probably 20, 30 programs and projects because there's always something else. And, and for me, it's not about, I don't know, I suppose other people do that for, for, for me. Like there'll be people internally or externally who end up nominating me for something. And I don't have visibility of it. And I thought, oh, okay, great. But an accolade's an accolade. I don't really need that recognition. There's a reason that I keep very much quiet as well. Um, around some of the work that we do, you know, I try and keep. You know, you wouldn't have heard, I can, you know, I can guarantee that many of your listeners probably haven't heard of the Opera Foundation, but certainly will look into it a bit more. But there's a reason for all of that. I think humility, humbleness is probably a, a characteristic that I like. Uh, it's a trait that I believe in. But I don't have time to, to stop and think because we can always do more. It's, I mean, is anyone ever content? If you are, then wow, that's amazing. But I don't really know anyone who's content, you know, when they end up wanting to be fitter, stronger, healthier, richer, whatever, you've always got to challenge yourself. So, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> so, that is a great answer to finish this uh, conversation on. So if people want to find out more about Job Oppo or the Oppo Foundation, where can they go? Yeah, so www.joboppo.co.uk or alternatively, theoppofoundation.com. Uh, and for some of your listeners, if they don't know what an oppo is, I'm hoping that many do. An oppo means friend in the military. So uh, that's where where the name came from. So, yeah, but they can find us on online. Brilliant. Game. Okay, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for being a great guest on the Evolve podcast. Amazing. Thanks very much for having me on, Warren. For me, the main things that came out of that incredible conversation with Kayem was the importance of support from the entrepreneurial community 
especially for new business owners and those pertinent discussions around mental health and well-being. And finally, that value of transparency regarding discrimination of any kind within any organisation. And once again, there was that word resilience, which so often comes up in our podcasts and our conversations with entrepreneurs and business leaders. Is that the most important trait for an entrepreneur and business leader? And is it innate within us? Or is it something we develop through time and life experience? Or is it a combination of both? What do you think? If you want to find out more about the services offered by Evolve, the peer groups, the one-to-one coaching, details of how you can get our weekly insights newsletter, and further details of the incredible co-working space that we operate in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please do go to evolvemembers.com. I really do hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed my conversation with Kayem. And if you have enjoyed the episode, then please do help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing to future episodes. Until next week, goodbye and stay safe.